This episode contains sensitive content that may not be appropriate for listeners of all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Mountainland Physical Therapy's Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Madison Splann. Thanks for listening. Today's topic is relating to pelvic pain and the use of sacral stimulator for pain management. My guest today is Dr. Vikitz Garg. Dr. Garg is a double-boarded physician who completed his fellowship in pain management from the University of Washington and is residency trained in anesthesiology from University of Ohio Toledo and a family practice from Erie, Pennsylvania. He is an active in research and published articles on low back pain. Dr. Garg is a member of the American Academy of Pain Medicine, International Spine Interventional Society. He is currently working for interventional spine and pain management with clinics in Logan, Murray, and Ogden areas. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much for having me here, Madison. Thank you. So for our listeners, kind of what we're going to be talking about today are pelvic pain and the different treatments that we have for that. Um, We're going to be discussing, you know, what is sacral neuromodulation or um, sacral stimulation. We're going to talk about what are good patients for this treatment, um, the steps of the procedure, what precautions and healing implications there might be. Um, what patients should expect in their overall results, some side effects, as well as how this relates to pelvic floor physical therapy. So to start, Dr. Garg, will you discuss with our listeners the basis of this sacral neuromodulation? Yes, before we go to the basis, when we see a pelvic pain patient, the first and foremost, our job is to find out what's causing the pain. We believe that our success has been with diagnosis. When when we know, when we make a good diagnosis, we can treat that patient in that particular direction for that particular diagnosis. So that it can be challenging sometimes treating the patients or diagnosing the patients with pelvic pain. And that can include good history, examination, testing, injection sometimes, So we can make a working diagnosis or even exact diagnosis. Once diagnosis is made, then comes the role for treatment options, and that includes neuromodulation also. And talking about now the hypothesis, the hypothesis is electricity. We know that we need the, at the new neuron level, electricity is needed from the pain source, let's say someone is having pelvic pain or leg pain, pain transmit or the electricity transmit to our spinal cord, to our brain, and we perceive that as pain. The the hypothesis for neuromodulation is breaking that circuit. So there's electricity for those neurons and it tend to break that pain signal so that patients do not perceive the pain as bad or don't perceive it. So that's what the hypothesis of that is, neuromodulation is. And then what do patients complain of in your office? So say they come in and you're thinking that they might be a good candidate for this procedure. What are they complaining to you about? What are their major signs and symptoms when you are completing that um, evaluation and assessment components that lead you to believe that this might be a good patient for this procedure? So when we see the patients, the most common uh, scenario they show up to our office is 
low back pain, sacral pain, tailbone pain, sometimes pain radiating down one leg or both legs. And then on their imaging, they are showing a herniated or bulging disc. Sometimes old injuries of tailbone can cause some disfiguration or that's a fancy word, or some displacement of a tailbone on x-rays or MRI with increased pain with when they're sitting down. So the, it can be di different kind of variable or kind of scenarios. Some patients have more pelvic pain, some patients have more back pain, some have more tailbone pain. So again, that can be different kind of scenarios. As I just mentioned, our goal is try to make the diagnosis and then try different kind of modalities. That includes physical rehab, physical therapy, medications, injections. If the, those modalities do not work, then comes the role for neuromodulation. So neuromodulation is usually not the first step in that treatment. Usually other treatments are tried first, and then comes the role for neuromodulation. Great. So for pelvic pain patients out there, um, as well as pelvic floor physical therapists, um, from that standpoint, you know, I think that we're probably a common intervention used early on, um, as we are very conservative in that option. And it can work really well with injections and lower level procedure options. But I would say that this intervention would be a good option for patients when pelvic floor PT is just not working or you hit a plateau and the patient is no longer progressing through the plan of care any longer. Um, and so I've had a patient that, yeah, they came in, we did an assessment, and their coccyx was significantly displaced from um, actually a water slide injury, which was pretty unique. And um, so that would be a really good patient that, you know, you try the different mobilization techniques, you do different soft tissue techniques, and they're gaining improvements in their tissues and what you're feeling should be improving in regards to their symptoms and what they're reporting, but maybe those aren't matching up. I would say that's a good time when we should be referring patients out to um, pain management doctors like Dr. Garg in order to get um, a more in-depth assessment in order to help these patients really become better with their pain management and have a more higher functioning level of activity tolerance. That's absolutely correct. A lot of research has shown also that using a multidisciplinary approach, which is again a fancy name, includes physical therapy, medications, injections in combined help the patient better than doing only injections or only rehab or only medications. So yes. usually combination helps the patient the best. Definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of us, you know, may want to try and be the superstar and try and fix the person by ourselves. But yes, the multidisciplinary approach is always, always the best, especially with those tough, you know, chronic pelvic pain. These individuals have been suffering from this condition for at least six months with no other diagnosis or infection that may have been causing it. Um, a lot of these individuals that may benefit from this procedure have been suffering from chronic pain for much longer than six months because they have tried different options and are going through these different approaches with physical therapy, pain management, um, pharmacological options, and none of them are 
allowing the patient to return to the activity levels that they want to be following, whether it's an injury or just kind of an insidious or unknown onset that then continues to increase in its chronicity and its time length. And, you know, the longer that we're in pain, the more changes that occur, compensatory strategies begin that can make other symptoms worse at different areas of the body and almost start to trick the practitioner from where the true problem lies. And so I think really trying to jump into this multidisciplinary approach early to get everybody on board helps the patient much, much faster than just trying to handle it on your own. That's a very good point. A lot of research has also shown when the, the pain tend to become uh, chronic, which means lingering on for a long period of time, there are some changes at the neuron level that it, it start making any changes that the effect of treatment goes down also. So that shows the significance of treating any kind of pain as soon as possible rather than waiting too longer. No question about that. Definitely. The brain is a powerful organ. I tell patients this all the time. And so, you know, if we get in those chronic pain patterns, the brain starts to change and its ability to discern sensations, you know, it may be a light touch or a deep pressure, but the patient begins to sense it as, you know, a sharp or more of a pain stimuli when normally for healthy individuals, they would sense that as a deeper pressure rather than a pain response. That is correct. That is true. So with this, you know, we've kind of been talking about, you know, it's not the first thing that we throw at a patient. It's definitely a stepped procedure. Can you talk to our listeners about how this step procedure with like the test lead works and, and how, how that procedure looks and what the results of the test then indicate in regards to, yes, this patient's a great candidate or no, let's try something different. Right. So again, let's assume we tried the rehab injections, those kind of things, and they are not working as well, then comes the, the, the role for the neuromodulation. Neuromodulation, the good thing about this is, is it has two parts. The first part is the trial. There's no other surgery where you get to test drive, per se. So we put the leads in under X-ray machine called fluoroscope, and uh, we put the leads, put some tape, patients go home and test it for five to seven days. After five to seven days, if they come back, say, no, it didn't help me. It's not for them. If they come back, say it helped them with the pain control, at least 50%, 50%, then they are a good candidate for a permanent implantation, which is done about two to three weeks after that procedure, where the leads and a battery called generator is implanted underneath the skin. And that part is usually done in a surgical center or in a hospital. And I also wanna make a comment, this procedure is FDA approved and covered by most insurance companies also. Of course, there are some criteria, criterias, but it is covered by insurance companies. So as I mentioned, I know I'm repeating myself, there is no other procedure or surgery where you get to test drive it. So this is the only one you get to test drive it before you can have it. 
Now, what precautions are there in regards to kind of the test run with regards to kind of like, where are the leads placed? Are they going in to a specific nerve root or bundle at what level do you commonly use? So these leads are placed at two locations. One, they can be higher, like in the thoracic region. Or secondly, sometimes for the pelvic pain, we have put them right above the tailbone. And as you mentioned, done under x-ray machine is like a procedure, and they are mostly in an epidural space around the nerves, or close to the nerves is the right word. And then there's a lot of tape, patients go home, and there should not be any twisting, bending, lifting uh, for the five to seven day trial. And also the same thing for implantation, if they are candidate for that, no bending, twisting, lifting for four to eight weeks for after implantation. Same thing with the trial, there should not be, should not be any soaking in the tub during the trial and after the implantation too. The long-term precautions are that they need to carry a card. For example, if they go through TSA in a security in airport, they need to carry a card so that everyone knows that they have uh, an, a device in their body or something like that. And for physical therapy point of view, the physical therapists need to know that also there should not be leads uh, of the stem unit or tense unit will be placed right on the top of the battery. So very low from the precautions point of view, there's nothing needed from the long-term uh, after that is done, after eight weeks or so. And these days, the newer, newer batteries, the newer neuromodulation companies or products, they're all MRI compatible. So even if the patient has that, they can still have, can have an MRI if they need that in the future for different problems, same problem, whatever that is. So that, that is good from that aspect. Great. And how long do these um, battery generators generally last for? That's a very good point. They usually last between eight to 10 years based on how often do you use, how much do you use. And the, these days, the, those batteries are rechargeable. So the patient has to charge it every three to seven days, again, depending on how much do they use. So battery need to be replaced every eight to 10 years. Okay. But if a patient does need an MRI and they have an older unit, is it possible for them to have a surgery to get the newer generator placed in there in order to have an MRI? Or is it more based on the lifespan of the generator itself? So there are two things on that. It's a, a, having the surgery just to get an MRI is not recommended. It depends where the patient is having an MRI because, for example, if this unit is implanted in the lower back, patients can still have the MRI done at their neck or brain. If they need an imaging for the lower back, then a CD scan can be done to compensate for the MRI. Perfect. That's great. But doing a surgery to just, just because of MRI is usually not recommended for right now. But after eight to 10 years, if they need a new unit, then yes, a, a rechargeable one or a newer unit, MRI compatible is, is, is the way to go. 
Great. So when patients are coming to you for, for kind of um, drawing it back to physical therapy, are these patients that have, you know, pain with intercourse, are these good options? Is this a good option for them if physical therapy and trigger point injections or lidocaine is not working? That is correct. Yes, that's one of the indications also, along with other pelvic pains also with the periods in females without also. So these are all the good indications for having the neuromodulation. No question about that. Great. And on that note, I also want information out there to know that, you know, men are also suffering from from pelvic pain as well. Do you see kind of an even amount that you're you're treating this for males versus females? Are you still treating more females with this diagnosis? What what are you seeing clinically? Clinically, I have seen more females, but I have seen a lot of male patients are also having uh, pelvic pain, testicular pain also, and groin pain. Uh, but again, as, uh, as I just mentioned, females, I have seen more numbers comparatively. Okay. Now, in regards to the efficacy, do you see a difference in regards to male versus female pelvic pain? Do you see it work better with females compared to males or vice versa? Or is it just based solely on the individual and the different circumstances? I think different circumstances. I have not seen efficacy better on one uh, 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 gender than the other one at all. Great. I, I know that sometimes male pelvic pain can be really tricky, especially for me from a clinical standpoint, you know, um, we can get a lot of it to resolve, but then sometimes there's just like one spot that, you know, a trigger point injection isn't quite working for. Um, and so for practitioners out there, this is a really good time to refer them to a PMR doctor. If you're kind of hitting that wall, especially with those male pelvic pain patients, because I think a lot of times they don't have, there's not as much research with them yet, um, and they don't quite know all of the options. They just don't know that, you know, pain management is an option. I think a lot of times they come to to my clinic from urology generally, sometimes family practice. Um, how often or what type of referrals are coming to you? Are they, are they commonly, for pelvic pain specifically, are they coming from gynecologists, urologists? What are you seeing clinically? I think both. We have seen patients from gynecologists to urologists. I saw a male patient about three months ago. Pelvic pain, pain going radiating in the testicular area with sexual dys- dysfunction also. We did one injection. We have not gone to the neuromodulation first, and his symptoms got 80% better. And he came back. He said, hey, I have been to a lot of of, uh, providers. No one even told me about these avenues, about these modalities, about these treatments. And he was very impressed with with the treatment. So as you just said also, there are a lot of patients who do not even still know about the about these treatment options. So again, we have seen a lot of patients from uh, primary care providers. We have seen patients from gynecologists to urologists, sometimes gastroenterologists also. So we have seen from different specialties, of course. And surgeons, we have seen patients from spine surgeons also, because some patients end up there also uh, with their pelvic pain too. Got it, got it. Um, what should patients expect in regards to their overall results? Let's say, you know, immediately post-op all the way to, you know, one year after, five years after. What are you commonly seeing them reporting in regards to symptom management? 
So what we expect and patients are reporting is about 50, 50% pain reduction with the neuromodulation. Of course, it's not 100% proof. So again, we have seen 50% pain reduction. And we, I always like to stress with the patients that this is not the only treatment you will need. Along with that, a lot of patients still need core strengthening, physical therapy, may need medications also, may end up in getting injections too to get better improvement in their pain, in their function. So neuromodulation is one avenue, one modality, and the same thing. They may still need more treatment on the top of this for the next eight, 10 years or even longer. As I was prepping for this podcast, so I was kind of looking at um, different, we'll say, up-and-coming treatment options for chronic pelvic pain, and like you had mentioned, this is one of the only ones out there that is FDA-approved at this point in time. A lot of the other minor surgical options for pelvic pain are still very much in the clinical trial aspect, um, even case studies at this point in time. And so, you know, sacral neuromodulation is really one of the only options out there surgically that is scientifically proven with good research and FDA approved in treating chronic pelvic pain and kind of hearing what you're saying in regards to it's helping 50%. That means these patients are in a lot of pain. If they're going to go through this expensive surgical procedure to experience 50% improvement in pain, that means that these individuals are living with severe chronic pain. This is not your patient that's, you know, living out of five out of 10 pain. These are patients that, you know, can't usually work because of pain. They're living in that eight, nine out of 10 pain. Their functional activity tolerance is diminishing. It's affecting all aspects of their life. And so if you're a provider out there thinking that this might be a good patient, really let that be known that they need to be in a pretty significant amount of pain in order for this procedure to be worthwhile and meaningful for them, that that 50% improvement is very significant in regards to their pain level. Right. That is true. That is true. No question about that. That is true. Yes. And again, when we see the patients, I know 50% seems like a low number, but these are the patients, as you said, they're looking for anything. 50% 50% is a big number for them overall. As you mentioned that if they're suffering from eight to uh, uh, like eight nine, or nine of pain from a scale zero to 10. So 50% is a big, big reduction that can improve their quality of life. They can work, they can sleep better, they can function better. There's no question about that. Great. And now what are some of the negative side effects that may happen with this procedure? Whenever we do a procedure, whether it's neuromodulation or any other procedure, we are worried about infection. That's always a risk. And so we give antibiotics to the patient during trial and during implantation also. The other big thing which has happened in the past is displacement of the leads. Let's say we put the leads in, patient has surgery done, and now after a, a four to six weeks, whether with the cause they fell down or without any cause also, sometimes the leads can move. If they move, they need a repeat surgery to get those implanted again, unfortunately. Aside from that, I have not seen any side effects or uh, issues at all. 
and same thing the battery lasts eight to ten years and need a surgery to replace it every eight to ten years right and one study that i had read that was um more of a systematic review showed that um, in this study only about three percent had infection so that's a pretty low rate meaning you guys are kind of working in front of it by giving those different antibiotics and yes, that is true. pharmacological that is true. to keep those infections very, down. Very low risk and as a very low risk with everything. And as I have mentioned, every procedure is done under fluoroscope or x-ray machine. Some patients we see are worried about, hey, what's going to happen? Are you going to nick my nerve? Am I gonna, not going to be able to walk again? I'm going to get paralyzed. But under fluoroscope, the procedures has gotten so accurate that chances of happening anything is like less than 0.0003% or even less than that. That's how accurate the technology has been these days. Great. And then in your practice, if you could throw out a number, how, old, how many of these procedures do you feel like you've done over the years? So we are uh, neuromodulation. We I do about three to four every month. Okay. So we do about fifty a year, and I have been in the practice for the last fifteen years. So I have done between five hundred to one thousand of these uh, over the course of years, which is a fairly good number. For sure, definitely. Um, and in regards to, you know, my pelvic floor PTs out there, um, it seems like the most common, if, if I recall correctly, based on what I had read, the most common site for this is around what level of the spinal cord are you targeting when you're putting those leads on? So again, we can go around sacral, sacrum, sacral area, S1, S2, S3 nerves, and that is right above the tailbone. Okay. The second area we have targeted is about T, T as Tom, T10, T11, T12, which is the thoracic area. So those are the two big locations, sacral or sacrum nerves and the thoracic nerves for the pelvic pain. And then do you know if we're treating a patient with pelvic pain and we want to use like a vaginal or rectal stimulator, if they already have a sacral um, stimulator in place, are that, is that still a safe option or is that too close to the stimulator or generator to complete that intervention? This should not be a problem at all because the generator is usually on the side of the back. So the leads are longer, the leads are placed, but the leads are passed underneath the skin to the side of the body where the generator is. So using a vaginal or rectal uh, stimulator should not be a problem at all. Great. That's good to know. I know that I've always kind of been wondering about that and knowing I've always kind of erred on the side of caution. So that's great to know that because of the placement of the actual generator being more lateral, that the lateral. distance right. between the two, it shouldn't affect it. Should not be a problem. Yes. Great. Now, are there uh, anything uh, else that our patients should know about neuromodulation that we haven't spoken about yet? So other thing is every patient gets a remote kind of thing. It's like I tell patients, it's like having a TV, TV remote. You can turn it off when you don't want it. You can turn it on. You can make it go stronger. You can go make it go weaker. So you have full control of what you want to do with that. You don't have to be turned on all the time. 
it has programs like if you want it to go turn on and uh, some patient we see has more pain with walking or shopping or working they can turn it on when they're going for shopping walking or working those kind of things it has programs some patients some females i have seen has more pain early morning like 3 a.m 4 a.m and you can program these stimulator these days that if they're going to turn on itself at 3 a.m so it's very programmable according to your needs that's great now a question on that do you find it more um like it's going to improve the patient's pain if they only really use it when they need it compared to trying to have it on a low level at all times of day? That's a very good question. There has been only one or two studies which has shown that if they use it all the time, 24-7, the efficacy can go down. So not using it when you don't have to will increase the battery life and has shown better efficacy also. That makes complete sense. I tell patients, you know, from a PT standpoint, we'll send them home with one of those um, pocket-sized TENS units That's where they it. can, you know, put it on their back or their pelvic floor, wherever they need it. And I will say the same thing, you know, if you use it more often, the intensity that you're going to need may slowly ramp up because your body gets used to it. Um, so I always encourage them to, you know, take breaks from it, only use it at those high pain times that you know based on general patterns and activities. Yeah, because the brain, again, it, it starts yeah. to kind of learn that low-level pulse, and so then it gets used to that, and that kind of becomes their new baseline, and so then That's they true. may need more and a higher amplitude in order to reach that pain management threshold. Right. Another point I want to make is some patients come to us and say, hey, I have used TENS unit uh, or the peripheral or superficial stem, and that did not work or work for me. Will I be a good candidate for the neuromodulation? So I want to point out there are two different aspects completely. The superficial stem or peripheral stem is for the muscles mostly. The neuromodulation is mostly for the nerves. So their concept is totally two different things. And so when you are placing the leads, you're placing the leads at the nerve root in regards to where that nerve root then innervates. So if they have pain in their pelvic floor, we might be targeting more like S2 through S4, which is the nerve roots that, that innervate the pelvic floor compared to maybe, you know, the, the thoracic spine that you had been mentioning and those nerve roots going to a different location. That is, that is correct. So it's more at the nerve root level. Some research has shown actually when they did the mapping, it's called mapping of spinal cord. When we are baby, our spinal cord goes up to the tailbone. As we grow, the, the spinal cord gets stops at L2 or the, the lumbar level. So those nerves start from the thoracic area and then goes down like in our groin area or pelvic area. So if that's the case, then the thoracic uh, neuromodulation has been done also. So that's the concept for doing that. Okay, I was wondering kind of the difference between choosing the thoracic versus the sacrum. Oh, yes. So thank you for answering that. Well, if there's nothing else, what do you hope listeners take away from this podcast, Dr. Garg? I think my, my, my goal or my take-home message is don't suffer in pain. There are treatment options available for pelvic pain, 
and lot of patients are not aware of that. I hear that all the time. Hey, I really wish I knew about this sooner. And there are a lot of FDA approved options available covered by insurance companies. So again, don't suffer in pain. There are options available for sure. Great. Well, in closing, thank you for listening. If you'd like to speak with a specialist, please email podcast at mlrehab.com. I would like to thank Dr. Garg for coming on the show today. And Dr. Garg, if listeners want more information or would like to get into contact with you, what is the best way to do so? So our website is Utah Pain Center, one word, utahpaincenter.com. And our phone number is 801-262-PAIN which is, again, 801-262-7246. Great. Thank you. And thank you again for listening. Please tune in next month for our episode on pelvic health and physical therapy programs. Also, remember to subscribe to this podcast and to get the most up-to-date episode information and downloads. Thank you. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Exercises that are safe and appropriate for some people may not be for you. No treatment program should be undertaken without first consulting your physical therapist or physician. The contents of this podcast is protected under United States copyright laws and may not be reproduced, redistributed, transmitted, displayed, published or broadcast without prior written permission of Mountain Land Physical Therapy.